Hi, everybody. This is Rick Lawrence. Hey, I wanted to introduce this episode 31 of Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus before we listen to it. It was another episode that I recorded at the Simply Jesus Gathering in the mountains of Colorado, and this particular episode is going to focus on an actual marriage relationship. I interviewed Justin and Miriam Rossell, who live and work in Minnesota. Uh, he's a pastor of a church there, and this is kind of, you, I guess you could call it, a continuation of episode 30, and then that episode focused on outrageously committing to marriage, and we introduced the whole idea that our most intimate human relationships are like uh, a terrarium <laughs> or a greenhouse for our intimate relationship with Jesus. And that's what we talked about in episode 30. And this is an extension of that into an actual marriage, where we talk to two people who have been married a long time and have kids and are very honest about the pressures that are brought to bear on a marriage when you're following Jesus and trying to love a broken, imperfect, messy person at the same time. So we tried to explore the realities of the nooks and crannies of that intimate relationship. Now, if you're listening and you're not married and you don't have kids and on and on, the, you will benefit a lot from listening to these two people talk about their relationship, because what they're talking about is really what does it look like to commit all in in a relationship when that relationship is fraught with difficulty and seasons of joy and seasons of struggle. What does that look like? Because that's exactly what it's like to live our daily life with Jesus. We also go through seasons with Him. We also have struggles and joys with Him. So Justin and Miriam do a great job of describing the similarities of, of both their marriage relationship and their relationship with Jesus, and they treat their marriage as if it was a metaphor for their own in growing intimacy with Jesus. I think you'll be fascinated by what they have to say, because, again, they're honest in the moment about what that relationship is like. So, let's get started. Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, everybody. It's Rick. This is Being Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. And uh, one more um, live on tape interview from the Simply Jesus Gathering here in the mountains of Colorado. And once again, sitting out here on the, the deck of a ranch. Uh, earlier in the morning, can hear the birds chirping and there's a uh, unusual number of roosters at this ranch and um, I'm sure we'll hear the, them along, along the way and and you know, for this episode uh, I've invited um, my friends Justin and Miriam Rosso to talk about relationship uh, the relationship of marriage in the context of following Jesus so we're going to explore um, what it means to follow Jesus while you're serving each other and loving each other in marriage and what that really looks like. So uh, why don't you guys introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit, like give us your one paragraph bio, each of you. 
Ladies first, Miriam. All right. Uh, Miriam Rosso. I uh, am an educator by trade, a mother um, at heart. I've got four kids, 16, 14, 10, and 6, so a widespread and um, have been married to Justin for now 21 years, I believe it is. Give or take. Uh, the wife is supposed to know that. <laughs> I know, I know. Supposed to not know that. I am now off the hook. This is, this is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get it wrong. I get my age wrong, too. So I'm just, all right, then it's all right then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I have enjoyed um, working alongside Justin in, in ministry stuff and at home and parenting. And, um, you know, figuring that out together. And um, we're just moving into a new stage. We'll have two high school students and a, and a fifth grader and then a first grader. So we have kind of the whole gamut of, of kids and education. And I'm um, gonna stay at home again. I've kind of gone back and forth between teaching and staying at home. And uh, so I'm gonna be at home again and looking for ways that um, I can support Justin and support our family and, find something else to do also, but there's a lot to do just with that. <laughs> and you're also something, I, I don't think I heard you say just now, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you're also this like elephant in the living room. You're a pastor's wife. Oh yes, I am a pastor's <laughs> wife. I, I did not say that. <laughs> I am, yeah. So looking at how, just what, what that looks like. It's different for so many pastor's wives, I think, and I have enjoyed um, every bit of it, and some some don't. Some find it very difficult. Yeah. And uh, so I, I would love to support pastors' wives. I love to support mothers, um, and trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah, it's good. We're going to explore that a little bit uh, a little bit later. Justin, how about you? Well, I guess the uh, elephants out of the box there. Uh, I, it's been interesting to introduce myself at a conference like this because people say, "What do you do and where are you from?" And you know, when, as soon as you say, "Well, I'm a pastor," and whatever comes next, you can see the kind of the glaze on, in the eyes, and they've got kind of a certain already kind of preconceived notion of you. So I started introducing myself, and people say, "What what do you do?" And and I like to say, "I help people delight in taking a next step following Jesus." And they say, oh, really? Well, how do you do that? I said, well, I'm a pastor. But but at least I get one thing out the door. Uh, <laughs> before, we're, the, before, before, before the glazed look, right? right, right. Oh, uh, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a pastor of a Lutheran congregation really focused on discipleship. I'm the senior pastor there. I've done a lot of work with uh, metaphor and metaphor theory, really uh, trying to preach and teach in, uh, from an image-rich scripture for an image-rich culture. And I think the Bible's got a lot more imagery in it than, than we give it credit for, and that's been a real delight to explore. So uh, let's let's uh, kind of do a cannonball into the deep end here at the start. So, so um, this is kind of a big umbrella question. What is marriage for in the context of us following Jesus? What is the, what is the, uh, I don't want to say pragmatic purpose of marriage, but maybe you could even say what is the metaphoric purpose? Mm. What is the the pra, pra, you know the the everyday purpose? What is the purpose of marriage in the context of following Jesus? How how is it that marriage um, either helps or hinders how you follow Jesus? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take a swing at it, and then Miriam can give you the real the real truth. Uh, I I think. Part of its function is to be both the lab and the playground. Uh, it's it's the first and perhaps most important place that you get to figure out what it means to die to yourself or to 
uh, uh, sorry, I got emotional there all of a sudden, <laughs> to, uh, to love someone else so much that you're willing to give up your rights, the things that are important to you, the, uh, the, the what I want, uh, to be able to let that go for the sake of someone you love, you, you're, you're trying to love more than you love yourself. Uh, I think that's first and foremost the, the relationship that helps us be like Jesus when we're trying to live it out that way. Um, when you start seeing in the marriage relationship the, the kinds of things that, that, that Paul would talk about, uh, the image of Christ in his church, or uh, it's, it's just the first, it's the first and most important other in my life I can't get away from, and therefore it will always bring up my own selfish agenda, and that will have to die again and again. Mm. So it's the, the playground for learning how to love that. It's the place where you need the most forgiveness and get the most forgiveness most freely. It's the place where you practice dying to yourself and delighting in somebody else in a way that points you to how Jesus delights in you. Mm. That's good. Miriam, what about you? <laughs> that was a really good answer. <laughs> Take all the time Take, you need. Yeah. <laughs> we'll um, just edit out the long pauses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was thinking. I was thinking about relationship. Uh, Jesus invited us into a relationship with Him. He He calls us into a relationship with Him, and um, we get to see that work out when you when you get married. When you when your husband and wife you you work in those relationships and so um not maybe not just dying to self and putting somebody else in front of you but just even in everyday life how do i how do i trust justin how do i trust that he's gonna do what he said he's gonna do or how do i put my faith in that he's gonna be faithful how do i put my faith in um you know the the father that he's gonna be and and that it's not perfect because <laughs> he's not Jesus. And so, you know, obviously there's sin that comes in there. And so then you work through that and you see forgiveness. And it's a place where you can see that forgiveness and that love shine through that Jesus has invited us to, that he has given us, that he has brought us into in relationship um, with him. And so it just, it, when it's working well, it's a beautiful picture of, of Jesus and his bride, the church, and um, I think. What about when it's not working well? Well, <laughs> I, I, I was just thinking that too, and and I think that that's part of um, that spiritual grit that you develop. One of the places where where you go through difficult things in a safe way is is in that marriage relationship. So even the hard things, when they're under the umbrella of following Jesus, can be used by Him to to strengthen you. So there are times when we're closer, and times when we're farther apart times when we notice that we've been kind of wandering in different directions away from each other, times when we seem to be locked up, and that is also a mirror of, of my relationship with Jesus. So there, I think the the distance and the brokenness and the coming back together in, in marriage, the, the, the hurt and the sin that you deal with, is also in its way a, a reflection of what it means to be a broken, imperfect follower of Jesus and, and the things that that you need as you walk with him. Yeah, I, th I would say that um, one way to describe the mission of Jesus is that he came to restore an impossibly broken trust in our relationship. In fact, a trust so broken that even his enemy thought there's no way to repair this. And that's actually how the whole, that's how this whole shrewd plan really was founded on is that enemies 
understanding that this relationship that I helped facilitate the break for is impossible to repair. So therefore it's done and I, and I have free reign to wreak havoc. And so Jesus comes back to restore trust in our relationship and the greatest miracle is that it happens. Yeah. It happens in our relationship with Jesus where we actually trust him sometimes. And so I think about that in the context of marriage as well and trust is broken sometimes in big ways, more often in small ways, on an everyday basis sometimes. So what does this look like to be in relationship where trust is really the portal into intimacy, but it's constantly being assaulted um, because we're broken people? How does, what does that look like um, for both of you? I don't know exactly, um, <laughs> but I, I keep going back to um, the, the forgiveness that, that I know that I can always go back to my Savior. I can always go back to Jesus and say, man, I, I really messed that up. And, and he's always there calling me back to him and ready to forgive and love and start over. And, and I see that in our marriage. I see that in, in Justin. We can say, wow, we, we really screwed that up. And we can talk about it, and we might even argue loudly about it, and we might, we, I mean, we might not come to a conclusion, but, but we've, got, we've come into a covenant relationship. We've, we've promised each other. And in that promise, knowing that Jesus has tied us together, we can go back to each other and say, I messed that up and I'm sorry that I broke that trust and can you forgive me can can we start again you know what what needs to happen let's repair repair this um, so I see that that work both ways like that with with Jesus and in my relationship yeah. with Justin yeah I think that uh, the that undergirding trust that the promise is solid is really important and that might be an image of how we also relate to God and I know in a world where the divorce rate inside and outside the church is so high that the trust that that marriage promise is going to endure is really hard to kind of hang your hat on it's just not our experience we know that that one also fails um, and I would say even if even if I knew for sure my marriage was going to fail in the next five years and we were going to get a divorce, I'd still want to live as if I knew for sure that it never ever would. It feels to me like it never ever possibly could. Almost every, almost all days it feels like that. Um, and I know that's not everybody's reality, but I would say even if it felt like a question mark, I would set the question mark aside because part of what part of what gets you through the times when you step on her toes or she steps on yours is knowing that because there's that undergirding promise that you can rely on, the the other stuff can be can be dealt with. And it might not be easy, and it might not be fun, it might take a while. A and that's how I see that also as an image of, of the relationship with God and Jesus. Yeah. So if marriage in part is sort of a, a laboratory hmm. for growing intimacy, so that we even understand what the, that is, we in, in intimacy with a relationship with a person we can't see or touch mm -hmm. or feel. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you know when your marriage is in a season of intimacy and when it's not? What, what does that, how do, how do you, what are the markers for you of we're in a season where there's real intimacy in our relationship or there isn't? Oh, really good sex. <laughs> 
Okay, there's the low hanging. Yeah. But that is a part of it because when when um, your sexual relationship is uh, abundant and free, then that's also an indicator that uh, um, the the rest of the relationship is is kind of flowing abundantly and free too. Um, that there aren't that there aren't things you're holding back from each other. Um, so the rest of the world, though, would I think say that that's something that's easily compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. That you can have a thriving sexual relationship, but have very little intimacy in your relationship. Mm -hmm. So, so why do you say that it's an indicator? Um, well, I think uh, as a man, I could do it easier than I, maybe it's my my wife. But I think as as a woman, uh, are it's harder. I know what she thinks about me in the bed, whether or not she's told me what she thought about me outside the bed, uh, because there is a there's a, a there's just a difference when you're open and free with, with each other, and um, there's the act, but then there's the intimacy, and the two aren't necessarily the same thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, that that's I mean it's it's one indicator. It's not the most important one. Well, it might be. I don't know. Uh, it is it is just one. Uh, but that that physical intimacy, as uh, it participates in and it it expresses the spiritual intimacy as well. The the trust there's a trust that you express physically there, um, and and that's that's one of the reasons why. Well, fr from our tradition, from our background, things like the sacraments, things like the waters of baptism or the Lord's Supper, uh, because we believe there's a mystery there where there's actual, actually something happening. Or like the sacrament in, with, and under, we would say we don't get it, but we think it's actually physically there somehow, um, mysteriously, that that becomes that moment of physical connection and, and intimacy, not, not o expressed physically, not just spiritually. Yeah. So yeah. that's... Uh, be, so I guess in, by analogy, being able to come freely to something like the Lord's Supper with nothing holding you back and to, to receive it joyfully is kind of a rough parallel. I mean, it's it's imperfect, and you might not want to quote me on that, but, but there is that kind of, yeah. I can come joyfully and freely because the relationship's yeah. intact. Yeah. Um, Marion, what about you? Yeah, I think um, for me, it, it it's about communication mm. <laughs> when when we're communicating clearly to each other when we're not when I'm not wondering um, what he's thinking about something when we can kind of finish each other's sentences or um, actually spending time together you know um, our our life like I said with four kids two in high school and two others in elementary and and kind of junior high times is very busy and I spend a lot of time running kids' places, and he spends a lot of time at work. And when I was working the last couple of years, we it was we were very separate. I would not say it was necessarily a high point in our relationships. I didn't doubt. I didn't ever wonder if he loved me, but we were not real intimate. Yeah. You know that that intimacy was not there. We weren't spending time together. I wasn't just hearing what he was thinking, and that when I when I think about my intimacy with Jesus it's the same way if I'm not spending time with him or and it doesn't it does not for me as a busy mom it does not mean that I'm spending an hour with my Bible quietly and my coffee and you know having this wonderful quiet time but if if I'm not even questioning or asking or talking to him as I go and do things then then that intimacy isn't there and I'm not 
I'm not putting myself in a place um, to receive from him. He's still there. He yeah. still loves me. Um, but I, I'm not receiving the intimacy the same way that I think he, he wants me to. Um, both Jesus and Justin. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's uh, that's a really good point, that communication piece. I, I, I would say I've experienced when we're on, when we have the same agenda, when we have the same goals, when we're, we're working, I love working with Miriam, when we're working on a project together, uh, when we're going to speak at a conference or when we're writing something or when, when, when what she's doing, what I'm doing are aligned and going in the same direction and we've got a common goal and a common activity and we're able to kick ideas off of each other and work together on something. That's when I think our intimacy is, is kind of firing on all cylinders and it's just a joy. I, I mean, I think she's an amazing woman being around her, watching her do what she does, supporting what she does, having her come alongside me and support what I'm doing. That's awesome. And that's, I think, when we're at our most intimate. Now, if you take that insight and then, like you just did, say the communication thing with Jesus, I wonder if, as a disciple, when my agenda aligns with his agenda, when I can see what he's doing and I get on board with that, uh, perhaps my engagement, my passion, my intimacy with Jesus is higher when I can tell that his agenda and my agenda, that I'm kind of on board with what he's doing. Well, you both, we're talking about marriage as a, as a laboratory for intimacy that, that extends into our relationship with Jesus. But when we talk about communication and we talk about uh, even physical touch, um, we talk about spending time together. You just said, Miriam, whenever, if, you, if you're in a Christian group and you say spending time with Jesus, it almost always is sitting in the morning with a cup of coffee, reading your Bible. That's the default setting for what that is supposed to look like. Right. And it's very uh, compartmentalized and um, not at all like what marriage is and in, what intimacy is in marriage. I mean, that's we don't just sit and <laughs> quietly Quiet. take <laughs> in something or read, read each other's journals in the morning. Uh, so, so if it's a laboratory for intimacy, then what what are the the ways in which intimacy with Jesus grows that are kind of like the way they grow in marriage? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, I think that romantic that romantic ideal is one that we end up having with our spouses as well as with Jesus. So when I talk about, you know, spending time with my wife, sometimes it feels like it has to be taking her to a movie or taking her out to dinner or buying her flowers or something like that. And I found those things are nice and you should do those things. But the, the day in and day out, team working on parenting or team working on something when, when we're living life together regularly and it's not necessarily special or miraculous or my favorite thing is to, to, to bring her flowers when it's not Valentine's Day because you're supposed to on Valentine's Day yeah. but uh, and, and I wonder if that's a part of it too it's the it's the living life in that relationship with Jesus mm. not um, not only so I, I think worship is important I think Bible study is important and I think if you if you segregate it into that hour um, you, you've lost like most of your day to your relationship with Jesus yeah I, I absolutely I the I love I love cooking dinner with Justin hmm. I love it when he's hmm. you know throwing something out on the grill and I've got stuff going inside and then we can sit and have a glass of wine and just talk about our day and that's just an everyday thing like we need to eat every day so wouldn't it be great if that was something that we did together most days and and we're able to do and so I need to take kids places and but I can have conversations with my kids so now I'm outside of my relationship with Justin but they're a part of our 
marriage. They're a part of our family. So I can have conversations. Well, what what did you hear today in, in church, maybe on Sunday, or maybe it was at a Bible, or what did you see at school? Did you see Jesus show up at school somewhere, or did you meet him somewhere? Mm. And when when we're talking about that, just in our life, it it makes it much less compartmentalized. It, it, he, it, it becomes so much more alive and intimate, and he's actually there then. He's, he's a part of your everyday life, and he, and he wants to be. And so when, when I can remember to even just think about, you know, on my way, I'm, I'm wondering about something and stress. Well, I, I can think out loud to Jesus. I can pray. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, quiet, folded hands, mm -hmm. head bowed. And, but I, I can just kind of have a conversation with him. So, so let me stop you there. So most people, when they think about communication with Jesus, of course they, they say, well, uh, it's about prayer and my quote unquote prayer life, mm -hmm. which always sounds like a kind of a challenge on survivor. Whose prayer life is, is, is what is even a prayer life? And <coughs> most people think of prayer though as sort of one way communication functionally. I, prayer is my time to unload on on Jesus what's going on and I know people pray differently my wife prays by by primarily by writing in a journal mm -hmm. um, but it, communication of course for intimacy is is two ways right so in what ways is your communication two-way with Jesus yeah I um so I'm still learning all this. <laughs> I don't want to sound like an expert, like I've got it all together and I do this right all the time, because that is certainly not the case. Um, I, I would say I actually have a horrible prayer life, if you're looking at it as in <laughs> sitting quietly and praying. Um, and I'm not always good at listening. I'm, I don't stop very often. I usually am going all the time. Um, so, so I don't have that all figured out. But letting letting the my conversation what i'm thinking and knowing that jesus is listening to it that i'm not just kind of spewing it to myself allows me then to look for ways that he's answering it it might not be him actually you know kind of talking to me in my head but it might come through a friend who who gives me some words of wisdom and oh that that was him answering my mm -hmm. prayer um, or it might be the next time that I'm at church and I hear Justin or one of the other pastors preach something and I go, oh my goodness, that that just spoke to my week and what I was thinking about and what I was sharing with Jesus or through a song that's sung or that I hear on the radio or I put a CD in or something my kids say. So I think that that communication doesn't just come kind of spiritually, supernaturally to us in our brains, you know, in kind of this weird way that you can't really understand, but he actually uses people Comes to, many to conduits. answers, yeah. yeah, to answer prayer. Yeah, and and the marriage relationship, I think, is one of those places where that, that can happen. Um, I, for me, when I think about prayer, it starts with the scripture that tells us that Jesus is always interceding for us, and then just a few verses later that, that the Holy Spirit is groaning with words that are, are without words because the groanings are so deep they're too deep to ex be expressed by words and and the spirit then is praying also on our behalf in line with the will of the father and so whenever whatever it looks like wherever it is whenever i enter into prayer i'm entering into jesus and the spirit already praying on my behalf mm -hmm. and so i join my prayers to their prayers and that image of me 
Joining a conversation. Jo joining what's already going on, <laughs> rather than me trying to whip up the right stuff to say. Yeah, yeah that's that that's really helpful for me. The other thing is, Mary mentioned, uh, where where did you need Jesus? Now, where did you see Jesus, or where did you need Jesus today? And um, I think that's a, a, a perhaps a foundation of, of prayer as well is simply that deep need for Jesus. And uh, sometimes your prayers just like sound like "Oh God" or "Oh Jesus" or "Help." Um, those are some of the most profound. And being aware of where you need Jesus is a, a kind of living out of, of a prayer relationship. And saying it back to him, I really need you in this, uh, is, I think, a deep expression of prayer. And that's perhaps another reason why marriage is uh, both laboratory and playground, because I think marriage is, is the hardest thing any of us will ever do. I think living in an intimate relationship with someone that's not you, who has uh, different ideas and different agenda and different personalities, and is broken and gets hurt by your brokenness, um, and has the gall to take offense when you're being a stinking sinner. Um, it's 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 simply the single hardest thing to do, and our culture has worked really hard to to make it even harder. And so, I think it's wonderful, and it's also really really hard. So in that, to need to to go into your marriage relationship every day needing Jesus in your marriage is a really profound. I think reality. I, I need him all the time. I'm not always aware of how much I need him. Yeah. But my marriage also teaches me how much I need Jesus. That's good. I love that. So two, two more questions. Um, one is, um, it, it, we know from Scripture that uh, Jesus has experienced everything we have mm. without sinning, mm. and yet he was never married. So is that just lip service? Is that just one of those things we jump over? We don't really stop and consider, wait a minute, he hasn't experienced this, I don't think. And so how can he enter into this aspect with knowledge and strength and guidance when has he really experienced this? Um, so I just wonder what pops into your head when I throw that throw that out <laughs> jerk <laughs> <laughs> wow that's, that's my spiritual gift yeah <laughs> um well wallowing i mean so that's 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 one of those things where you, i think that would be really good to sit with and wonder about for a while uh so i trust <clears throat> the bible when it says that jesus experienced what we experienced but without sin um i think it probably means i mean i've been a 13 year old boy jesus was a 13 year old boy there's i'm sure there is sexual temptation as a part of his life as well um, he hung out with prostitutes. That couldn't have been easy for a good-looking single guy, or, or maybe, maybe <laughs> he wasn't. Heard, I've never heard Jesus describe <laughs> a good-looking single guy. Yeah, yeah. We we certainly portray him as that. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Uh, so I think there are part of the challenge is that his culture was so different from our culture as well. Um, so what do you do in trying to draw those direct lines? And I think you probably have to draw the line a little bit less directly. Uh, but I trust that everything that I've been tempted with, he's been tempted with more. Yeah. And if marriage is about, is fundamentally about intimacy and vulnerability, then you could say that the Trinity is the quintessential vulnerable, intimate relationship. I love what one of the speakers here at Simply Jesus said. Um, yesterday that uh, the only competition the Trinity engages in is the competition to honor one another higher. 
Mm-hmm. And if you, it really struck me, I think, in that moment, I'm just realizing in that moment, too, wow, I think that's very true. We, we know it's true because the, Jesus is always pointing to the Father. The Father is always pointing to His Son, saying, listen to Him. Mm-hmm. And the Spirit is always saying, I only am passing on to you what the Father and Jesus say. Jesus is looking at the Spirit, saying it's so good when He's going to come. They are always competing to honor each other in this intimate relationship. And what struck me in that moment was, oh, that is a picture of what an intimate relationship at its height might look like. And it was convicting to me as I think about the ways in which I, I, I am in my own brokenness in my marriage and how often am I actually competing to honor my wife and, and vice versa. Um, that, that maybe a mark of mm. maturity in our relationship with Jesus as we get closer to him is that starts to spill into that too mm. that we find ourselves acting like the Trinity in our intimate relationship in our marriage mm. but um, so uh, Miriam I didn't I didn't let you throw your two cents in here but any any thoughts about this the only thought I had I I, I, I don't know but I, the only thought I had was um, we are called as the church the the bride um, of Jesus. So it, it's a very not oh, that's interesting, you yeah. know not not the not quite the same maybe maybe not quite a, it's maybe more figurative. But I I believe that he is married to the church and and so you can see some of those relationships there yeah. the, that intimacy and that the love that he has for the church is what husbands are called yeah. to to love their wives like and the submitting that the church does to Jesus's will is what wives are called to do for their husbands so I in that sense I think that he experiences marriage um, as we do yeah I love that that's really good so last question for you Um, so uh, you're in ministry together by definition that means you live in a glass house Mm. the the question is um, how do you live authentically and vulnerably when you're in the spotlight all the time and without uh, compensating by building a facade to protect yourselves? Yeah, so that that is one that all pastors' wives wonder about and, and deal with. I don't know how much the pastors do as much, but the pastor's wife as the one sitting in the pew with the kids on Sunday morning knowing that everybody's looking at you 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 wonder about that Um, and honestly I have been at some wonderful congregations and I have never felt like they are pointing fingers at me or asking me to do things that are outside of, of where I feel like I should be or what I should be called for I've had some wonderful relationships with people inside the church and I know, I know there are pastors' wives who have been hurt by their congregation, pastors who have been hurt by their congregation um, because they've put their trust in somebody and then that trust was broken. Um, I have not experienced that yet, and so I'm thankful for that. And, and what I have gotten is um, some beautiful relationships that have helped me and supported me. And without putting myself out there and allowing being okay with the possibility of being hurt, I would not have been supported the way I have been. I would not have the relationships. I would not, um, I probably would not have as good of an experience as a pastor's wife if I didn't put myself out there. If I tried to hold off and not let people into my life, 
then I'm all alone and I'm isolated and that's not good. That's not good for anybody. And more apt to be hurt and in more that environment apt to be because hurt. of it. You know. Yes. So I, I sit in the front row and my kids are not perfect and they climb on me and they make noises and they're not standing up when they're supposed to and they're not singing all the time and they're looking bored as teenagers look bored and and even everybody when, sees even that. Even when dad is even preaching. when dad is preaching, <laughs> they look like they want to be somewhere else back in bed. And but you know what that gives to our parishioners is the grace to know that it, you don't have to be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> the grace to see well, you, the pastor's family isn't perfect. You know their kids are climbing all over. So I don't feel like I have to come into this place and be perfect. And I've had people tell me that. What a blessing this is. Um, that I can watch you not be perfect. Yeah, it's a little bit of a backhanded compliment. <laughs> it's so nice to so see, nice see you. To see you're you so imperfect. Perfect. Yeah, but there's there's a key there about being free, both to confess and to forgive. To 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 be to be a person that is quick to forgive everybody else, and then also quick to ask forgiveness. Uh, and so, if you say something stupid in the pulpit, sometimes you go back and say, you know, I didn't. I wasn't thinking. I said it this way, and you know, so a couple people got their toes stepped on. And I really did. Please, you know my heart. You know I didn't. I'm really sorry that I offended some people and that's happened before or you do something stupid or and so being a broken sinner being up front with how broken and sinful you are you don't show off your sin you just don't excuse it you confess it and I think that's helpful um, where I think I've experienced that neg the negative side of being a, a pastor or being have a pastor's marriage is the uh, there you are trying to build intimate relationships with people and that's always a little bit risky because they're never sure quite how to take you so you're you're always developing someone who can be your friend first and and, and also let you be their pastor and then when those people um, move or get a different job or sometimes don't like what's going on at church so stop coming back as often uh, there's the because those relationships are hard to make when you lose them it's it's painful. It's really hard. You feel, it even, you feel it even more, and it's it's hard to it's really hard to get back up on the horse and say I'm going to open myself up to that again, because you know I I just invested 18 months in this relationship and now they're gone. I don't I don't have it in me to invest right yeah. now in somebody else. Yeah. So that's I think hard, but I'm not entirely sure that that's unique to being a pastor or being a pastor's wife. I think relationships are just hard. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, sharing about your relationship and how it, how it uh, is working in the laboratory of getting intimate with Jesus. I appreciate your honesty and uh, and I appreciate that that you know it's it's it is uh, in addition to marriage being hard, being married in ministry, we know it's like being married in the military. Mm. There are extra forces mm. surrounding that marriage that are trying to pull it apart. So I just want to. Thanks, Rick. I, I appreciate it. And I, I know um, one of the things I've learned just working with couples, trying to help them take a next step following Jesus, one of the things I've experienced is that sometimes you have to follow Jesus separately in your marriage before you can follow him together because you're just at different places. Or even within the marriage relationship, you're not ready to be open and intimate. You're not ready to pray in front of Jesus in front of your spouse yet. And so sometimes you have to have a relationship out with, I would suggest for a man, another man, for a woman, another woman. Uh, you got to kind of do it that way, but sometimes you have to follow Jesus with someone else so that you can follow Jesus in your marriage 
and, and not to be uh, afraid or ashamed of that. I just, I know there's a lot of brokenness out there, and it's on my heart to speak to them too. Yeah. But thanks for talking to us today. That's good. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. Thanks, Rick.